Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Released in 1994 as Final Fantasy III, uh, Final Fantasy VI, as it is actually known, is one of the biggest video games of all time. It's certainly one of my personal favorites, uh, and we're coming up on the release this year of Final Fantasy XVI, truly stretching the definition of the word final uh, <laughs> at this point. But uh, this is this is a really a truly wonderful game. I'm very excited to spend time on it, and I'm uh, not doing it alone. I have at least one other uh, quest member in my party. Uh, we have uh, he is a comedian, a TV writer, a Cowlitz Indian tribal member whose credits include Spirit Rangers on Netflix, Molly of Denali on PBS, and he's the creator of the new Comedy Central digital series Gone Native. Uh, please welcome Joey Cleft. Uh, yeah, hey everybody. Uh, I'm so excited to be on this, to talk about this podcast, and I am of course here with the third guest on this podcast, which is Ultros, oh, the squid guy. Oh yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, he's always showing up when you don't want him to. He's a grumpy octopus. Uh, so, um, I, I think the best place to start here, because this game is enormous, uh, this is one of these games that takes you know maybe 30 hours to play, start to finish, so... We're not going to get to everything in it. We're, you know, there, there's way too much to do, um, but we want to hit the highlights. And re- really, what I want to focus on here, Joey, is you know, you went, you wanted to pick this game uh, as a subject, and I want to know why because I, I know it's near and dear to my heart. But tell me about your experience with it. Okay, God, uh, how do I make this not a twenty-hour-long soliloquy? Um, yeah, uh, so. <laughs> I, um, growing up was a really big gamer. Um, I started with Nintendo, um, you know, like platformers and stuff like that. And then, um, got a Super Nintendo and, you know, really, I think like a lot of people of my generation just like slowly started to cover, to, um, discover, um, you know, JRPGs and, um, of course, like Final Fantasy two for, you know, two at the time four in, um, Japan numbers and Final Fantasy, um, three at the time, six in Japan numbers, um, were definitely like at the top of that list of just like games that really blew me away as a kid. Like I remember I specifically rented, um, there was like a, a game store near where I lived um, in Washington state called, I think it was like children's company or something like that. That was like a place that sold, you know, just like toys and like random stuff, but they also had like a video game rental section. So I remember um, renting final fantasy three from children's company and, you know, plugging it in for like a weekend playing it and just being like absolutely blown away by this world, these characters, um, you know, like, uh, I think that I feel like I was, you know, I was probably still in elementary school at the time. I think I've been like 10, 11, 12 years old or something. And, um, actually, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And, um, you know, it, it just felt imaginative in a way that most of what I did not see, most of what I saw in 
kids media and the stuff and even just other video games at that point I just like didn't really see so that there was like and it also had like such a deep and interesting story with like you know nuance and gray area with different characters and like such a wide cast of characters that it really just like blew my mind as a kid like I remember like I'm a tv writer now and like my my first piece of like what I would consider to be like creative writing was probably like in the fourth grade what was essentially just Final Fantasy six fan fiction you know which was basically just like oh what if like seven had to fight ultros and like what's that as a scene and like dialogue and stuff and um you know like since then it's just like followed me as this game that i feel like i've probably owned it i want to say 10 or so different times in different formats over the course of my life so like um you know, renting from Children's Company, eventually I, like, bought a used copy from some game store, and then I sold that to, like, get an N64, and then I bought it back, like, six months later, because I was like, I can't be without this game, and then, you know, bought the PS1 Final Fantasy Anthology version of it, um, I think I bought, like, the Game Boy Advance version of it, and a ton of other different versions of it, and it is just this, like, really cool, deep story with, like, a, you know, a very classic Final Fantasy play system that just, like, kind of got my imagination going in ways that I really appreciated. You know, what you're speaking to there is how absorbing this game is. And I felt kind of the same way. I had played Final Fantasy 2 slash 4 before this. You know, I, I, let, let's lay this out because people are probably really confused if they don't know. In America, we only got what were Final Fantasy 1, 4, and 6. 2, 3, and 5 were only released in Japan, which effed up the numbering over here. So uh, if you hear us refer to it as 3 or 6, it's the same game. But so I, I had its predecessor. I remember um, faking sick to stay home from school to play yeah. Final Fantasy II. Um, I, I faked conjunctivitis because as a kid, like I hated getting stuff in my eyes. Like eye drops were just an anathema. And I thought if, if I do this, my mom will never believe I'm faking this. It's too painful and too against my character. Uh, so I did it. Um, and uh, I loved it. Uh, Final Fantasy II is really great. Um, but it feels like this that game walked so this one could run. Uh, it's so much bigger. It's so much more in depth. The scope of it, the ambition, and the you know the um, the really like stunning plot twists of this thing uh, are I'd put up against any plot twist in in any medium anywhere. Yeah, when I think that something that also really helped me, I mean, get so engrossed in this game is. Um, this was in the era of like strategy guides that you could buy. And there was specifically, I'm looking at a photo of it right now. There was the Final Fantasy III Prima Unauthorized Strategy Guide that was this giant like 500 page strategy guide for this game where it was very clear that like the strategy guide was just making plot stuff up as to like why different, um, you know, different like pieces of equipment mattered. Like I think that there's like a, a section of the strategy guide where they reference what's called like the relic ring i believe which is the ring that um all of the ghosts on the ghost train are wearing and their explanation for it is like oh this relic ring is the thing that allows them to be ghosts or something and it's like is that something that's actually programmed into the code of the game or is that just something that like the person who wrote this 500 page unauthorized strategy guide just kind of like inserted as their own thing but still like me as a as you know like a young gamer at this point saw all of these, like, just, like, hooks for interesting stuff that, like, the game didn't totally spell out for you. Like, you know, Shadow's backstory and stuff like that. That, like, 
I don't know. It's like it's just like it was such a thick game, you know. And it gave you that impression too that there was like secrets buried within, and to some degree there are. Um, yeah, but. Uh, for this was back in the era, you know, pre-internet and very much all about like playground rumors of games. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, you know, did you know if you did this, you could find this secret thing. So, like, I don't know. How long did you spend trying to figure out if you could revive General Leo? Um, I mean, you actually you can save General Leo. Can you? Yeah. I'm learning so, this 30 years later. Yeah. 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 So this is all this is something that I learned probably, you know, 10 years after the game came out from the Internet or something. But um so, uh, General Leo, uh, when you're playing as seals, if you feed him enough fish when you're at the shack, you can, like, go into the water and get fish. I think you have to feed him, like, 30 pieces of fish before a certain amount of time. And it's like, you don't get anything for saving him, other than just he's like, thank you, I'm alive still, you know? Yeah, that, well, that one I did, that was uh, Sid, I think, who you saved by, by feeding the fish. But there's, oh. General Leo is the, the defector, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, oh, no, no. Oh no, General! Oh yeah, you know General Leo. Oh no, that, that guy's sunk. You can't save that guy. He, he's dead. Yeah, he he's this. Uh, for those who don't know, he's like a general. He defects against the bad guys, and you get to play as him for like one round of a fight, and then he you know and he's so cool died. and powerful, and his like special move is so dope. Yeah, they, it gives you every indication that like, well, this this can't be the only time he you get to do this with him in the game. He must join your fellowship as part of the quest. And nope, like there's no way to bring him back. It just, it, but yeah, I spent forever trying to figure out like, oh, if you find the right item or talk to the right person, maybe you'll figure out like there's a way to revive him from death. It's like, nope. And then they did it again in Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I didn't do that as much in Final Fantasy VI. In Final Fantasy VII, I was definitely like, okay, spoilers from Final Fantasy VII, but when Sephiroth murders Eris, like I remember seeing that scene and being like, well, I'm just going to restart the PlayStation and just reload my save. And surely there's something I can do to... Oh, nope, there's nothing I can do. She's just going to get killed by Sephiroth. Got it. Nope, the plot demands <laughs> that these characters die. I would say maybe we should set up a little bit about the world of Final Fantasy VI. Because I, I, you know, just to let people know kind of what this world is and why we've both obviously glommed onto it and, and uh, find it so engrossing. Um, yeah, so uh, the world of Final Fantasy VI, um, I think that, like, it does a really good job of, um, I would say, like, spoon-feeding you this uh, really specific imaginative world. So the first things that you see are, um, I believe, the character of Terra um, walking in Magitek armor, which is basically like mech armor, um, toward uh, a town of, I think it's called Narsh. Um, along with two other soldiers. And um, it's clear that Terra, you know, has been brainwashed or she's under some control and she has some magical abilities. But over the course of this, she meets a, um, a thief named Locke who, uh, you know, is just kind of like, you know, your Han Solo-esque scoundrel of this town. And um, if I remember correctly, um, Locke basically, you know, frees Terra and they bolt it out of town are essentially on the run from the Empire, which are the people that originally kind of captured Terra in the first place. And um, it takes you on this, like, really great... I mean, the first, the first, um, you know, I would say, like, quarter or so of the game takes you on just, like, essentially, you're on the run from the Empire, from the Emperor and from the Empire. Um, you don't really know why Terra is special, other than that she is special and has magical abilities, clearly. Um, you know, it sends you through this really great adventure through 
you know, all, all these like complicated interpersonal relationships. Like I believe that one of the places that you go is the town of Figaro, which is um, a town run by um, a king named Edgar. And Edgar is, um, you know, I would say that he's kind of a reluctant king character. And you learn while in Figaro that um, the reason that he's reluctant is he actually has a he has a brother named Sabin who both, like, when their dad was sick, their dad who was the king was sick, they had to decide which one of them was going to take over as king. And they um, legit, like, settled it um, with a coin flip. They were on top of the, you know, Figaro castle. They flipped a coin, and, you know, Edgar, I think Sabin won the coin toss and was like, I'm going to go into the mountains, and you can be king. And, um, you know, also Figaro castle is, like, a castle that's a submarine for sand, and it can tunnel under sand and stuff for some reason. And, uh, you know, you meet all these characters in your, you know, as you're running from the Emperor. And, um, you know, it just, it creates, like, such an amazing ensemble of, like, you know, like, I would say that, like, I, th I think that Final Fantasy VI is a game that's kind of without a lead character in a really cool way. You know, because it's, like, really, every character's story is compelling, you know? Well, I read uh, in my research on this that when the, the creator behind it, uh, Yoshinora, I hope I got that right, Katase, wanted to create a game where every character was the main character, which sounds insane, except I think they pulled it off because yeah. Tara is your point. Of, yeah. Tara is your point of view character for the first half of the game. She feels like she's your protagonist and all the other characters that join the quest are, you know, your, our sidekicks. Um, although they still have interesting stories of their own uh, and we'll get to it later, but then in the second half of the game, they really let you explore all of these characters individually in depth. Uh, and and yeah, it feels like every one of them has their own arc that is meaningful and thought out. Uh, it's it's extremely impressive that way. It it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, and it's 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 just and it's like it's so amazing. There are even characters like um, I don't know. It's like I'm just even talking to you. I'm like just like memories of cool plot points are flooding back to me of like, there's uh like Setzer, the, 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 the gambling airship pilot who like won his airship in a gambling match. And then, you know, uh, and then his airship gets torn apart in a big plot point in at the halfway point of the game. And then you, uh, he needs to get a new airship that allows you to explore the world. And the way that you do that is like his ex lover, had an airship that's like buried in her tomb somewhere so you have to like go down there and like essentially you know do this like probably like you know for this character of sensor this very like tearful excavation of like his lover's vehicle that you then use to like save the world and it's just like oh that's like one plot point and that could be a whole ass movie you know right and it's for just that one character who initially yeah your first impression of him is like well he's just this kind of um ne'er-do-well and you know not to be not a, a character you would view with any depth but sure enough right he's mourning the loss of this person who meant so much to him um the 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 whole kind of uh, plot thrust of the first half of the game is that we find out that the empire is after these magical beings called espers uh that you know were once kind of you know around and have since gone into hiding in exile uh, because when they are murdered or die, their bodies break down into, into this substance called magicite, which basically, if you put this in your pocket, uh, you will be able to gain magical abilities, which, you know, who wouldn't want to just put a superpower in their pocket? So they're out to destroy this race uh, and take them for everything they've got. 
and you as your plucky band of rebels are out to stop them from doing that. Uh, and over the course of the first half of the game, they do some things with the plot that are a little unconventional. So, for example, they split the, the group into three, and you have sort of three separate stories you can yeah. do in any order as they kind of go their own paths and then reconvene to, to square off against the Empire. Um, and I, I really loved kind of, you know, that was their, that's like the first inkling of like, oh, there's more narrative ambition in this game than you think. Right. We're just going to do this little thing by splitting the group up. And I think that's something that is so impressive about Final Fantasy VI, and this is something that I didn't really learn until like significantly after the fact, is I think that their development time for this game was like less than a year. Like I think that they had like between when Final Fantasy V came out and Final Fantasy VI came out was like I think ten months or something crazy like that. So like they crammed all of this amazing narrative ambition into a game that they just like cranked out, you know. I have to assume that that shortened development time was only possible because, like, from game to game, the basic gameplay does not yeah, the engine doesn't iterate change, yeah. that significantly. Yeah, so I guess that probably freed them up to go like, yeah, 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 we got the thing where you click, you know, attack to attack. You know, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we've, we've got, well, they'll make some minor adjustments to that and, and focus on the plot. But even still, like, you look at the soundtrack to this game, which is, it could be an episode of its own. Yeah, uh, it's so good. I mean, this is probably the best game soundtrack ever made. Oh yeah, to me, like I, I still go back and regularly listen to like a symphonic cover of the coin song, which is the co the song when uh, Edgar flips the coin to decide if he's going to be king or not. And like, yeah, it's just such a like, and especially seeing this as like a 10 year old so like this is something that's like impressive to me now as a writer and as like a 10 year old this just like blew my mind you know the quality of the music here especially considering you know, you've got the limitations of the super nes's audio yeah. chip, so they what they lack in in like you know uh symphonic fidelity they have to make up for in melodic quality like it's got to be really catchy and it is like it's it's incredibly catchy. There's use of late motifs throughout the whole thing. Yeah, uh, it's incredibly complex. Uh, so I mean, Nobu Uematsu, who composed this, he composed several other notable soundtracks from the series. Um, if, if you ever hear video game music in concert, this is going to be in there. And like, I actually remember a friend of mine back. This is back in high school. He had this three disc set of yep, the soundtrack. I've got that. I've got and that, that was the first time I ever. You had it, yeah. yeah. I was like, you can buy the soundtrack to this? Holy crap, I didn't think you could do that. It was amazing to me at the time. I, although, I do have to say, not to throw too much shade onto Nobuo Yamatsu, but um, I was blown away by all of his music when I was a kid. I could probably say that he was like one of my favorite musicians from you know age 10 to age 20. But then I started listening to classical music, and I'm just like, oh, you just straight up lifted from Beethoven. <laughs> like... Which, eh, whatever, you know. <laughs> and, and I guess it, it's something that now that I and now that I think about Final Fantasy VI, it does feel like, oh yeah, this is like there are definitely some elements of this, like the, the haunted forest and the ghost train and stuff like that, that feel like, oh, this is kind of um, very Miyazaki esque, you know. Yeah, there's there's definitely if you there, there's a feeling of like not just the the storytelling style, but yeah, the visual language of this. There's, there is a, a, a hint of Miyazaki in there for sure. 
I, it's kind of amazing the emotions that they can get out of these sprites. Yeah. They're, you know, their animations are like, they are so simple. It's almost like something like Commedia del Arte puppets. Like the, the less they can do, the more oomph you get out of them. Well, yeah, when there's so much that's done with, um, like, like Shadow's backstory, Shadow's like the mysterious ninja who doesn't really talk. Um, you can find a lot about his backstory by just like, if you like go to certain towns and stay at certain inns a certain number of times, you'll see like with him in your party, you'll see like sepia toned flashbacks of like how he became who he is. And there's like very little dialogue in these scenes. It's literally just like, but you kind of pick it up of like, oh yeah, he was like a troubled kid who had like a friend that passed away. And then like his solution to that was to like try to become a ninja to like kind of avenge his friend. And he didn't really have a lot of friends, you know, in doing that because he didn't really trust anybody with the loss of his friend. But he did befriend this like dog interceptor who, you know, becomes like his companion slash you know, badass occasional special attack buddy, like, during, during fights and stuff. And it's like, oh, even that, like, you know, like, and this is the era where, like, the the RPGs that this is competing with is, like, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, which is phenomenal, but there's not, like, that much nuance in, like, Link's story as a character. There's, like, there's more nuance in, like, the hidden flashbacks of shadow or like you know the the story of like Saiyan of his like entire kingdom getting poisoned and him being the last survivor than there is in like the first four Legend of Zelda games you know yeah I mean they really went out of their way this is a plot heavy game probably more so than any that had come before it at yeah. least that I can remember uh on any system and uh you talk about that like that moment with Saiyan like I, I was thinking back on the game and like how heavy some of the stuff in this yeah. is, considering like how kind of cute it is. It's like, wait a minute. There's not just there's not one, but two genocides in this yeah. game. Yeah. There is there's like attempted suicide. You've got um, you know, the te- you know, all the stuff that goes with this tyrannical empire. Um, just really dark stuff. The the abandonment of a child is a part of this game. Yeah, you've got literally literally the end of the world which succeeds and that's the halfway point of the game yeah we should talk about this because this is the rug pull i was mentioning earlier that's incredible because you're building up to this you know uh, you think you're playing a new hope and it turns out it's the empire strikes back yeah like halfway through the game the the quest fails the end of the world actually happens and that's the midway point um, like an incredible just twist of like all of a sudden, you know, you're up on this floating continent. This feels very climactic. You're battling this giant weapon. And all of a sudden, like, nope, you've got to escape. Everything explodes. And the, the world is thrust into this twilight darkness. And the entire landscape is like ravaged to the point where like continents shift. And now you're you're stuck on an island as you're just one member of this party, not even your main character anymore, a different one, uh, trying to feed, as you said, you're trying to feed your buddy fish so he doesn't die. Like, that's the twist in this cute little JRPG yeah. for kids. You're trying to feed your buddy fish so he doesn't die, and for 90% of kids, you fail and your buddy dies, and he's just dead. <laughs> like, it's... Right. And, and yeah, like, this is the era where, like, what this is competing with is like Yoshi's Island, you know? It's like, it's it's <laughs> such a deep and heavy... It's like, I think that for me, at least as far as like, you know, American storytelling goes, is this is such a... 
a landmark game in just like what you can get away with in video game storytelling you know and like it's 100 percent like you know like final fantasy 7 i feel like is held up as so many people's favorites for me like final fantasy 6 blows final fantasy 7 out of the water just in terms of like narrative and everything that it's trying to do but like for sure final fantasy 7 is successful because of all of the cool stuff that they did in final fantasy 6 to learn that they could do this you know yeah, there, there, you don't get all of the good stuff in Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII, which is a very good game, uh, you know, in its own right. But I think you're right. This is better um, on I think just about every axis that I care about, at least especially in terms of storytelling. Which is which is pixels? Is it? It's pixels. Is it on a cartridge? Does it have weird bloops and beeps for music? That's all I. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. No, no, I'm born in 1980. That's what matters to me. Yeah, um, yeah. You're, you're right. Um, but yeah, that that twist in the middle, uh, you know, I just remember being so blown away by that as a kid. I'm like, oh, they're, they're doing something so different than what I would expect. And then to not only just, you know, flip the script in terms of having the quest fail, but then to change the narrative structure of the game entirely for the second half. Because the second half, is not a direct, you know, you're on a quest, here's what you should do next. It's a series of short stories that's all about you getting the band back together, trying to find your uh, your your folks that have been kind of just tossed to the four winds. And each one of them is its own short story of how you're going to try and get them to come back and recruit them back into the fold. Uh, it, that you can do in any order you want. It's it's a, It was just an extraordinary thing to have that kind of freedom in a game which would normally just lead you around by the nose from plot point to plot point. Well, yeah, I feel like the first, I mean, but it is, it's, it's interesting because like, yeah, the first third of the game or so is like very on rails. You're just kind of going from town to town and there's like little side quests and stuff like that here and there. And then there is that weird moment where it's like, oh yeah, like the narrative splits in three different directions. So you're following like this group of characters, this group of characters and this group of characters and like it's linear, but st- but I think that you do get to pick like which path you want to follow, um, and then that gr- that group gets together, and then you get an airship, so you have a little bit more freedom to kind of do what you want to do, and then um, the world ends, and then after that, it's just kind of like complete freedom. It's just like yeah, once you get an airship, you can just kind of go wherever you want. Like you don't have to get the entire band back together if you don't want to. You should you like need to get a certain number of people back together so you have parties in the you know, the final dungeon where you have, like, several different groups of um, adventurers who you can select, you know, different areas at will and stuff like that. Or you can select different people to take over and need a different time in that final dungeon. But it's like, I don't know, just like, what a, what a, like, uh, wait, uh, permission to swear on the podcast is uh, it's cool to swear. Oh, all you want. Yeah. Okay. It's just like, what a, what a, like, mind fuck of a narrative arc. And what a mind fuck of, like, playing with even what the structure of the game is, you know? Yeah, I mean, to trust the player to essentially, you know, have that freedom. Like, like we said before, that the, they wanted every character to be the protagonist. Yeah. And this is how they do it, where it's like, all right, we're, okay, you mentioned like Cyan, uh, this knight who is sort of the, the leader of this kingdom. Uh, the bad guy poisons all of them, and he's the lone survivor. And in the second half of the game, where you're trying to recruit him, you have to basically go into his nightmare yeah. and undo his trauma in a literal way by fighting your way through it. Uh, and that frees him to finally be free of his guilt and then you know, 
join back up with the party. Like that's like one example of one of these quests. Yeah, that's like one example of, and I feel like doesn't like Locke, he becomes like the king of like Zozo or something like that. Or he becomes like the lead thief in like a crazy town of thieves or something, you know, um, it's. Uh, Stra well, Strago, I remember. So Strago is this wizard. Yeah, he yeah. joins up with the Tower of Fanatics and he's literally just marching in a circle, like, you know, brainwashed and you have to go rescue him there. Um, do you have a favorite one of these? I th Okay, so I think that overall, I'm going to say, I mean, they're all so good. I mean, like, like you know, Setzer, uh, Setzer's is amazing of, like, you know, literally having to um, confront his, uh, you know, like, essentially, like, the ghosts of his past to get the airship of his, for of his now dead lover, you know, like, is really great. I think that, um, uh... If I remember correctly, the Opera House, that's in the second half of the game, right? Or is that the first half? No, that's the first. We should mention it, though, because that is a major, major yeah. like, highlight of the game. That's so, how you get Setzer, because the... the oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, you get Setzer, because exactly yeah, like uh, Ultros has, like, a bomb or something like that, and he's just like, I'm going to blow it up, and then, like, he sets it off, and then all of a sudden Setzer is just like, just kidding, see you later, and then, like, swoops in and gets you. Yeah, but the the neat thing about this is so the the plan to get they they need Setzer because he's got the airship they're going to need to infiltrate the empire. And so as bait, they have Celis, who is this defector general from the empire who look happens to be a dead ringer for his uh Setzer's love. Yeah. Uh, this op famous opera singer. So they're going to say you go on stage in her place and, as bait and he'll when he swings in to come kidnap you that's our moment to to join up with him. And so you have this this whole scene play out in this opera house where she just goes out and sings this aria. This aria, which is also for bloops and bleeps on an SNES ship, so beautiful. Like it's just, and like the lyrics are so great. I don't know. It's anyway, I could glow about that shit all day, but yeah. Yeah, no, the uh, aria di Caretta, I forget what it's called. It has an Italian name, but you're right. Like the, yeah, they can't have her sing lyrics on the SNES, but the melody is beautiful. Like it, it is written like, like you said, proper classical music. Uh, and we'll get to another classical piece at the end of this that's worth mentioning as well. But um, it's just it's this great, again, like a narrative swing for like a video game to do a set piece like this. This just didn't happen back then. Yeah, because like what 10 year olds are playing this game and being like, oh, hell yeah, an opera house. You know, it's like it's yeah. So so um, to answer your question, I I think that I think that Celis's story might be my favorite story of the uh, of the of the like. I, but it's tough because it's like I really like like Edgar and Sabin's story is just so like beautiful and also tragic like Celis has like you know just the really great arc of um like she's uh you know somebody who was kind of raised as a weapon and trying to decide if she like is capable of more than that and like capable of love and all that and she realizes that she's capable of love through this huge friend group that she has now um I I think that uh who I view as the main character is and uh, this is such a nerdy deep cut, but this is why I'm here, is like 
You get the Atma weapon, which is like that sword that looks kind of like a lightsaber that you only get one of in the game. And for me, I usually gave that to Celis because I was like, oh, you're you're the leader of the party now, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that I think that Celis' story is the one that I dig the most. But there is, but like, that's not to say that like it's like uh, Cyan's story is so like tragic and incredible, and he's like literally saved from like the nightmares of his own mind by his friends, you know, and like literally like the death of his people and like i don't know tara's story is so great in that like you know because she's somebody that i believe is like half esper half human and you like go back to the home of the espers like as it's getting shut off or something like that uh or as it's getting closed off from like you know this universe um you know like gao's story is so like cool and tragic it's just like it's just it's just a i would say it's a game just like Every character a banger. There is not, other than Gogo. Gogo, I don't think there's a lot to him, but I don't think there's supposed to be a lot to him. But I feel like every character has this amazing. Gogo is just like a mime that kind of mimes whatever is around him. Yeah, Gogo and Umaro are the two, you know. Although even Umaro has a even little Umaro, the, the Sasquatch even, has a little even bit. Even Umaro, too. he's like the last of his people, like, you know, or he's the last of his kind. It's like, there's, even Umaro has a little bit. Gogo is the one character that it's like, Okay, you wanted another bonus character, sure I get it, you know. Yeah, he I I tend to agree with you in terms of like especially when in the, when the second half starts, yes, you can go in any order, but you do start with Celis on that island and you gather a handful of people. Uh, I think was it Locke, Edgar and then Setzer and then you're off to pick whatever or whoever else you can find. My daughter's name is Celeste. So oh, hell team. yeah. Um uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, she's a she's a great character. And as you said, she grows so much throughout the story that she is raised basically to be, uh, you know, a human weapon uh, and finds love with Locke. She, you know, she figures out that she can be the leader that she was born to be and still be a human. Um, There's so much to her. Uh, Do you have a, a character that was your favorite to play? Uh, you know, setting you know, the, for mechanical reasons or? Uh, okay, so favorite character to play. I mean, it's it's tough to say it's tough to say no to Sabin, who is basically Guile from Street Fighter. All of his moves are like Street Fighter style button presses. One of his moves is a suplex, and you can literally have him suplex a train that you're fighting. So it's like it's tough to it's tough to like it's tough to say anybody other than Sabin as far as just like cool character that I'm always just like, oh, Sabin's part of my boy stable, you know, <laughs> like, um, and, and it's so cool. There's like Sabin, um, like there's this wrestler named Chris Sabin, who's considered to be one of the best wrestlers in the world. I'm a big professional wrestling fan. And he's called Chris Sabin in reference to Sabin from Final Fantasy VI. And he even has like a Sabin tattoo on his arm. that's really small. Um, so yeah, I would say that. And I think that also with Sabin, it's like, I, because the mechanics of, you know, this is ultimately, this is a Final Fantasy game. It has, you know, random encounters, a fight screen, turn-based combat. You know, you get it. I was going to say, if you've never played one of these games, what it actually is, is it's basically D&D. Yeah. It's Dungeons and Dragons with, with the software doing all of them, the dice rolling and math for you. That's how it plays. Yeah. So, like, I think that with that in mind, I am the, I think that, like, I would say Sabin is my favorite in terms of the mechanics of how he plays. But then in addition to that, I think I really like Sabin because, you know, he's also just another character that's like, he's like, a, he's like a man that like has lived in the mountains for 10 years and like was just raised to be a fighter. And like, 
it's just like so cool to have him in like a party of people where it's just like, no, bro, you got friends now. It's fine. You know, it's like we can suplex that train together. You know, like the narrative of having of giving that character a win <laughs> is like so cool and fulfilling. I I think uh, for me, like my ending party, like the people I would take into the end boss would be uh, Celis, Terra, Sabin, and probably Gogo just because he could copy anything the other three would do. Yeah. Um, that would be my my trick for the most damage. Um, and we haven't talked about Kefka yet, which I, which I think we should probably spend some time on him because he's one of the best villains in any video game ever. Oh, yeah, Kefka, like, I, I say this all the time. Kefka uh, would, like, eat Sephiroth for lunch, you know? It's like Sephiroth is trying to end the world throughout Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VI, Kefka did it. Like, you know, it's just, he's such a, and he's such a, he's basically the Joker, essentially. He's like a character that like lives on chaos. When you see him at the start of the game, he's, you know, essentially just like, he's literally like the court jester of the emperor, basically. And then he slowly like gathers power. You know, he's the, he's the person that poisons Cyan's kingdom. Um, you know, basically telling the soldiers, hey, you should just like poison their water supply. Um, so you see him develop this like really great cruel, cruelty streak. And then eventually when you have the halfway point where you're supposed to stop um, Kefka and the Emperor, you're on this like floating island that's above um, it's above the uh, the world. And that's where like these three Esper statues are that are essentially like the nexus point for like all magical energy in the world. And he um, basically like jumps in between them to kind of like absorb all the magical energy of these Esper creatures and becomes like literally a god who you have to fight at the end of the game, you know? This is the first one, of, like that's a JRPG trope for sure. Like, hey, let's go kill god or a yeah, god. Yeah. Uh, and this is the first one of those. And uh, you're right, like he, he starts off the game, everything in the plot is telling you this is the scrub who you're going to, you know, He'll be a boss that you fight like a quarter of the way through. Yeah. And then something else will happen, especially with like Final Fantasy 2, which like ends with a boss that like you've never met before. Just like, hey, turns out there's another bad guy you never heard of. Go yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you don't expect anything out of this guy. And then you watch him literally you know, massacre an entire nation basically by poisoning them all. And you go, oh, this this is the Joker, right? This is very much in line with, with the Joker. Yeah, this guy, this guy does live in a society. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I love that, like the the emperor, for a while, like he says, like you know, he 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 went rogue. He he went off script. So we've put him away. We put him in lockdown, and we're gonna try and broker a peace now. And that turns out to, of course, to be a lie. And then you know, so they let him. He lets him back out, and then he ends up kicking the emperor to his death off a floating continent. It's like, nope, you uh, you, know, you played with fire. You got burned. Uh, like what is everything about him is so untrustworthy and so do, treacherous. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's also to see like, you know, that guy when become a God and recreate the world in his like chaotic image, which is what you're spending the back half of the game traipsing through. Um, yeah. I, I gotta say uh, I'm such a big final fantasy six fan that when final fantasy seven came out, I was hugely disappointed because it was like oh final fantasy 6 put such a level of expectation as to how good this is supposed to be and it was like fine but it was also just like oh this isn't as good as final fantasy 6 um probably one of my like proudest moments of my early 20s is i um i was at a and i think this speaks to how i feel like um jrpg and video game fans of our era 
um, this is kind of like a constant Star Trek versus Star Wars argument, which is which is better, Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy VII? And I feel like you know old heads that grew up on Super Nintendo RPGs are going to say Final Fantasy VI, whereas people were like their first RPG ever was Final Fantasy VII are probably going to say Final Fantasy VII. But um, I was at the uh, Penny Arcade Expo, one of the first ones in the mid two thousands. And there was a uh, panel of like developers talking about game development. And during the Q and A, I just asked like, "Hey, just out of curiosity, which do you think Final Fantasy VI is better or Final Fantasy VII? And it started like a screaming match level argument between these developers that was like, because <laughs> somebody was just like, "Oh, as we all know, it's Final Fantasy VII," and then somebody was like, "No, it's Final Fantasy VI," and they were like, "What did you say?" And then just like, it was just one of the things where it's like, I started this huge bicker fight between these game developers and I was just like, I'm out, I did it, you know? And even the audience members were yelling at each other. It was the nerdiest, <laughs> the nerdiest. tussle that I have ever caused. I mean, it is a tough call. I, I like I said before, I think I come down on the side of, of six being better. Even though seven is, like I said, it's very good. Like it's no slouch. But this does so much more. And, and a big part of it is Kefka. I think he's so much more uh, charismatic. Right. Sephiroth is a char charisma vacuum. Yeah, I think that my, my problem with Sephiroth is I feel like Sephiroth was specifically designed for, like, goth kids to like. Like, he was, like, I feel like, yeah, he, yeah Sephiroth's, like, an edgelord in a really specific way. Whereas I don't feel like Kefka was designed to sell T-shirts, you know? Um Oh, also, uh, another another um, really cool Final Fantasy VI kind of thing that exists beyond it is um, uh, uh, Asuka, who's one of the best uh, female professional wrestlers, um, I mean, probably of all time. She wrestles for WWE. She's like a multi-time world champion. Her entrance robe is like flat out a recreation of Kefka's robe. And it's like, and it's like not something that they call out on commentary, but it's like, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy VI, you're going to immediately look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's for sure. Uh, that's for sure she just sent a designer Kefka's robe and said that, you know? Well, I love that he, you know, he recreates the world in his image, which is just a twisted you know, hellscape. You know, everything about the, the world of ruin, as it's called, is, you know, just, there's nothing to like. Like, it's not, you know, okay, you, you went for all this power, and this was the goal? This is what you wanted to do? This is how you wanted it to be? Right. Because um, he just sits on top of his tower, basically, like, frying people, you know, smiting people as he sees fit. That's what he's been doing for a year right. when the game picks back up. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and there is this feeling of, like, why, I don't know, you, you happy Joker, you won. Clearly this isn't giving you fulfillment. Well, it's like, what does he say in The Dark Knight, right? I'm like a dog chasing a car. I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. There's, there's a little of that. Uh, and when you face him, of course, you, so you, you, he's built this tower of garbage that he sits yeah, yeah. on. Just made of like the detritus of the world. Uh, and you get up, you know, you fight all these various things to get up there and dancing mad starts, which is sort of like Uematsu's version of box Takata and Fugue in D. Yeah, yeah.
one of the most ambitious tracks of the 16-bit era. I mean, kind of nothing can touch this thing. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is just like, I don't know, every aspect of this game is just like, like I said, it's wild that they made this in like 10 months, you know? I love the, the thing that you fight before you get to him. It's just this like weird, twisted... It's almost like a gargoyle, but like a genetically uh, mutated, fused teleporter accident of a gargoyle. Like it's just all these different like creatures and, and beings like fused together into this coiled up uh, spire. It's hard to describe if you haven't seen it. Yeah, well, that's his like because it's it's uh, like most Final Fantasy bosses. It's like uh, uh, there are multiple stages to him. You basically start at his base, which is like yeah, this weird gargoyle thing and then once you get up a level um you're fighting like you know different versions of him that are like kind of the second level and the top of him is like oh this is he is jesus you know well he's literally like drawn as as like this angelic sprite with these huge wings uh behind him are these you know god rays coming through the clouds like it's the religious iconography is really oh yeah for sure you're fighting you're fighting the pope that's basically what they're trying to pull there's still many games where you fight a pope or a god now. It's uh, it's nice. You've got, uh, I mean, Sephiroth becomes a god. Uh, I think uh, you fight several gods in Final Fantasy X. There, there's uh, Tales of Symphonia is another one. Like, there's a lot where it's just like time, time to kill deity. Yeah, it is. That is like a very like I never really thought about that way, but that is like a funny JRPG specific, at least from like that era, is like. Oh yeah, you're always. It's like the 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 final boss is your job. Your job is to kill God. You're killing God right now. You know, like Lavos in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Lavos in Chrono Trigger is basically God. Uh, or uh, yeah, um, uh, Gygus in Earthbound is basically God. I mean, like, did you have you played Mother Three? I have not. I know. Oh, that's you got so like I, I had not played it until honestly like last year. I finally bought a Nintendo DS and a hacked cartridge of Mother Three with the um, fan translated English translation. And like you know, it came out in two thousand three, so this is nineteen years after the fact. And like God, what a game! And like the ending is so incredible. The story is great. Yeah, I don't know. Just like JRPGs are great. It's just I appreciate the art form of that. You know. Yeah, and again, it's a storytelling medium that allows them to take these big swings up against these sort of seemingly cute backgrounds, which, like, that juxtaposition shouldn't work, but it somehow it, it like, the whimsy of it makes the tragedy feel, you know, that much stronger. I, I don't know how they pull that off. It's kind of a magic trick. Oh, yeah, totally. It is a weird... And it's something that, like, it's one of those things where it, it felt so... Um... You know, it felt so, like, alien to me as, like, uh, you know, a 10-year-old. It felt so, like, so, uh, like, imaginative to me as a 10-year-old. And it's something that, like, oh, as an adult, I'm realizing, like, oh, this is, like, this is heavily inspired by, like, Japanese culture and Japanese archetypes. You mentioned, like, Miyazaki as a touchstone for it. Um, You know, like, you could definitely look at espers as, like, oh, yeah, they're basically kind of, like, Shinto deities. Like, it is, uh, it's, like, when you, when you, um... Like, think about the culture that it came from being, like, you know, JRPG. It's, like, it starts to make a little bit more sense of, like, oh, no, this was inspired by the culture that it's from. I just am not part of that culture. So, to me, as a 10-year-old, it felt like, oh, I just don't know what any of this stuff is. And it feels so fresh and new. But still, like, what a home run on what it was trying to accomplish. 
Yeah, it's almost like Japanese culture and Western medieval fantasy. It's almost like chocolate and orange. Like, oh, those two things go together really well. And I'm not sure why. You get like Dark Souls. Like yeah. The From games. And it's like, that's the same thing. You've got a Japanese developer doing their spin on like Lord of the Rings type fantasy. And you, the, the end result is something so like fresh and interesting and, and vibrant. Um, and I, I don't know what to attribute to that to other than just like, oh, th- this is a combination that otherwise, you know, wouldn't exist. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and there's like so many characters in this that, you know, like kind of fit the Han Solo archetype of like the rogue with a heart of gold. It's like Setzer's kind of that. Locke is kind of like that, you know. Um, I feel like there's a lot of other characters in this that kind of like fit that mold. And it's just, I don't know, it's just... Ed- Edgar is one yeah, of those yeah, two. Yeah, Edgar, like Sabin on some level. It's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just cool shit. I just love it. It's so great. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for, you know, almost an hour and it's just like it, it's been all gushing and it, it almost feels like it, it, describing a dream to somebody who's never played the game. It's, it's hard to coalesce uh, the thoughts about it, but it just it, there's so many times where the game sort of just says we're going to go in a surprising direction and they succeed. Like all of these big swings they take, like they nail and it's it's just it's one of those things that, like every time you come to a new place. You go into a new situation in the game. Um, it's a win. Like it's a surprising, heartfelt thing. It's a uh, an interesting narrative twist. Uh, it's just a cool set piece. Uh, but they're constantly giving you something that's way more interesting than just you know the average like go into forest fight monster. Yeah. You know, there, there's always something happening that's like making it compelling. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, and that is something that's like. I don't know. I think it kind of speaks to the creativity of like specifically this genre of or this um, generation of video games in that like they did this with like 16 bit sprites. Like it's like the technical limitations were huge. And there's definitely a version of this that could have been like, you know, Final Fantasy one was like basically just like, yeah, go into the woods, fight monster, go into a castle, fight stronger monster, get stronger, fight the biggest monster you win. And like something that's really cool about like, you know, Squaresoft at the time is like, I feel like every game that they made in the 8-bit and 16-bit era, they tried to, like, say, okay, yeah, we get it. Turn-based combat, random encounters, blah, 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 blah. What, like, interesting or cool thing that we can do beyond that? They didn't, like, they never, like, rested on their laurels, you know? Well, it's funny because I tried to figure out why is it called Final Fantasy to begin with. And the the story, there's two stories. I don't know which one is true. Maybe they're, they're both a little true. One version of the story was they they bet the company on Final Fantasy one, so they called it Final Fantasy, thinking, well, if this fails, it's the one we go out on. And the other is uh, the the creator of the the series, uh, uh, is it Sakaguchi, said it wasn't so much the company, but him personally. He felt like if it failed, he would have quit the industry and and done something else. Um, but it kind of speaks to that sense of like every game in the series, at least up to a thir- certain point, does feel like. If this is the one we go out on, yeah, we, you know, we want to go out big, you know. Yeah, that's like that's cool. I, I I didn't I didn't know that about that. That's really cool. Uh, the ending of this thing is really crazy too, because it's like a half an hour long. Yeah, which never happened in games of this era. Uh, you get all the late motifs from the music coming back as all of the characters, you know, escape the now crumbling tower, and like each one is like a check-in again, like putting another capstone on their their dramatic arc as they go out. It's it's so efficient and so just uh, incredible to watch. And it felt like Return of the King. I'm like, oh, more endings. This is it's keep it's still going. 
I, I'm the luckiest boy in the world. Oh yeah, the uh, like the final tr the final track on the, that three disc Final Fantasy soundtrack is like 24 minutes long, and it's because that's just what plays over the entire ending. And uh, yeah, like it's it's so great. It it is such a great like capstone on each character's journey. It's also like in Final Fantasy VI fashion, super dark when Shadow is just like. Leave me. I'll I'll be I'll, I'll die as the tower collapses. Go, interceptor. Go, and then Shadow just like dies in the collapsing tower. <laughs> like uh, I thought, it was, yeah, I thought it was implied he made it somehow, but I can't remember if there was like a little touch at the end to suggest maybe he got out. Yeah, but it's still, but it's still, but there was still, there was still that moment of he made the he made the choice to stay. <laughs> like he doesn't have much to live for. Uh, they, uh, I liked the, um, they even did a thing where like, so for example, the shadow can die on the floating continent. You're supposed to like wait yeah. for him to then rescue him. I wasn't sure you're supposed to, the first time I played the game, I was like, I, I, we got to get off of this thing before time runs out, which meant I left him to die on the continent, which meant he was not available for the second half of the game. So when you get to the end for any character, you did not bring back, you know, when you're getting the band back together. They just sort of show something. They have something else to show you. I think for him, it was just like, you know, his, you saw like the dog in like his, the town where you found him or something. It was like vaguer than actually watching a little moment with him. Wow. I didn't, uh, I didn't, holy shit. I didn't know that, uh, that like, cause I just, look, I'm a good person. I saved everybody. I was like, shadow, I'm not leaving you on this floating continent, buddy. Uh, so yeah, now I kind of want to go back and I'm sure on YouTube, there's probably some super cut of like. All of the deaths of the Final Fantasy VI characters you didn't save. Yeah, I think, like I said, technically you only need four. Yeah. Uh, they make you bring four into your party. You don't have to save anybody else if you don't want to. I'm sure there's a version of the ending where, yeah, it's just you know nothing but like, you know, sad slideshow <laughs> <laughs> for, for everybody else. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was just so impressive to me. That, like, And then after they do that, there's still more. Like, they're still like they're flying away. There's, you know, all these moments. Um and they get, they do give Terra the hero moment at the end of like, you know, is she going to survive because magic is leaving the world? She's half magical, so she's in theory going to die. Uh, luckily, she does not. And she gets to stand on the, the bow of the ship with her magic hair blowing in the breeze. Like, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I also really, really appreciated. Um, this is one of the first uh, JRPGs that like, at least I remember where um, when you're flying around on the airship, uh, at any point you could press, press like the Y button or something like that and you could just like walk around the airship and just see all of these characters in your party because your party gets huge I mean like I think that there's what like 15, 16, 17 playable characters in this game um, that like make up your party and you know at any point when you're flying around the airship you could just stop and then just go and be like oh where does Shadow hang out in this airship oh he just kind of hangs out in the boiler room Where's Setzer? He's like piloting it. Where's Locke? Oh, he's trying to like hustle Cyan in the, you know, in the gambling room or something like that. Like, just like there are so many character touches that really make each character feel like a lived in and fleshed out part of the story down to like, oh yeah, if they were on this big airship, like, where would they be? What would they do? Who would their friends be? You know, in a way that was just like, oh, up until that point, I'd never seen that before in a video game. Yeah, I, like I said, th there's really no other game before this that I can think of that invests this level of humanity into their characters. And I know, I'm sure a lot of credit goes to, I, I forget who was responsible for the uh, uh, English localization, 
but boy, they just nail making every single one of these characters feel so different, unique, and deep in a way that you know, in theory, they shouldn't because they're cute little sprites. Hey, I've uh, okay. So, like, I, I've got a question for you, Doug. So, um, mm-hmm. if uh, so, if you were a character in Final Fantasy VII, I don't want to know who you would be, but where if you if you if I press triangle on that airship, who would you be hanging out with? Sorry, seven or six? Uh, six. Oh, six. Okay, all right. Who would I be and where would I be hanging out? Yeah, on the air, on the, on, on Setzer's airship. Where would you be? Who'd you be hanging out with? Uh, I would be hanging out with Mog, the Moogle, because he's the wisecracking one, and I want to be around, like, the funny people. Um, he just seems like he's a lot of just... Uh, he's got that kind of, like, mischievous energy, and I like him. Um, There's just an interesting character design on him as well. So I, I would definitely hang out with Mog. Um, and probably, yeah, Setzer or Locke, they seem like they're, they're kind of, you know, cool to be around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I was going to say probably the same. I'd probably be around the roulette table with Setzer, Locke and Edgar, just cause like, not necessarily because they seem like the coolest ha- people to hang around, but of everybody on Final Fantasy VI, they seem like the, the, the least bummers to hang around. <laughs> It's just like Cyan <laughs> yeah, would be like we've my about wa- a lot of tragedy. Yeah, Cyan would be like my wife is dead. Like you know, Shadow would be like I'm not talking to you. I only talk to my dog and only about how I want to want to die. Like you know, Mog. I also feel like would probably be like a pretty fun hang. Um, you know, Gao would probably be kind of messy. Uh, yeah, um, Umaro might be Tarzan fun. boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Umaro might be fun because he's just like a Sasquatch. If he's like a happy Sasquatch, that would be fun. Gogo would probably be annoying because he would just be trying to imitate you. Uh, yeah, I think that like, and I feel like Sabin is probably really cool when you get to know him, but he probably is like a bit too standoffish to like really want to like hang with, you know? Yeah, he he would be a little bit. I mean, like he lived in a mountain yeah. alone by himself for a while. That that does things to you. Yeah, I feel like Sabin and Seals would probably get along really well because both of them are just like we've only trained in fighting, you know. We haven't talked about Strago or Realm much. They were all like, so at the end of the game, you have to divide your party into three and you can have four. So that's 12 characters, which I believe leaves two left over that you don't use. And uh, yeah, Strago and Realm were always the two. I was like, I have no use for you two. You're not that strong as party members. So uh, you get to you get to sit back and watch us save the world. Yeah, Strago and Realm were fine. They were like, it was basically like an old wizard guy. And then Realm was a... Uh you know, essentially just like Strago's, you know, presumably kid that could like paint things that came to life. Um, yeah, they were like, they were fine. I didn't hate them. They were just kind of, they just kind of were there. I just found them, yeah, they're fine as characters. I just found them less useful mechanically. So they, they stayed behind. Right, right. Other people did more damage. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I know there's so much more we can talk about with this game. I know we're running long on time here. Um, but anything you feel you know i mean this game is as you've said this stayed with you your whole life after you played it uh, you've talked about it influencing your writing and and everything else uh, you know what is it you think that's at the core of this game that makes it worth you know ranking so highly among games and and remembering all all these years later uh so i mean i think that i think that it's a case of um, a lot of people who are like masters of their craft just like 
sinking three pointers for 30 hours, you know, for 30 hours worth of gameplay. Um, you know, like this, like, it's like the soundtrack is like so incredible. The, um, you know, the art, even though it's pixel art is like, is so incredible and memorable as well as like the concept art of these characters. It's like in the instruction manual is just like so amazing and cool to see. Um, you know, like, I think like the writing is so great. Like the characters are so, um, like they, they still pop for me. Like I haven't played the game in like probably 10, 15 years, but like these characters still pop for me as, you know, me remembering a lot of major plot points for them. Uh, I think that what, I think that what, um, overall I really appreciate about this game is just like, and you, you said this a couple times, it's just like the balls to like, just go for it. Like, yeah, we're going to have a weird, sad opera scene about this, like, this, uh, you know, like, gambling airship captain. Like, yeah, sure, we'll have, like, in this game, presumably for children, we'll have somebody poison an, an entire kingdom and the only survivor who is for sure filled with PTSD joins your party. You know, like, I think that it's just, like, the guts to do all of that stuff. And to really, like, you know, like, like you said earlier, to, like, give all these characters just, like, real humanity that, like I said, like, inspired me to write, like, Final Fantasy III fan fiction when I was 10, which then convinced me to, like, become a TV writer, you know? It's just, like, I don't know. It just, whatever, whatever they did, just, like, chef's kisses all around, you know? Yeah, it's, it. I think singing three-pointers for 30 hours really describes what that feeling of playing this game, because... Every time they do something, it's like you're you're about to hear a new musical track, and it's the you know it's just a wonderful piece of music you're going to remember every time you hear it. Uh, you're going to encounter a, a, a strange monster or creature, and the design is going to blow you away. You're going to meet a character who might seem initially you know maybe surface level, and you'll find out they have an entire tragic backstory, and then you're going to inhabit this world in two phases you know, for a very long period of time and feel kind of immersed in it, that it feels, you know, as real as something made out of pixels in mode seven in 1994 can feel. And it's just, I remember being young and seeing this game and going like, I didn't think games could do this. I didn't yeah. think could do this in a story. You know, um, I've always been interested in video games as storytelling mediums. And like, so like we, we watched the last of us, on Sunday. And I like the last of us. It's a really good game. It's a really good story. And it works as an adaptation because it basically, you know, it's very cinematic already. Um, but while, you know, while I was kind of getting into that for this week, I was playing the Stanley parable, which if you've never played it is like, here's how a game can use the medium of gameplay to fuck with you right. and do things that, you know, only you could do with this medium. And Final Fantasy VI is like we're using the medium of games to do something that only games can do and do it in a different way that still feels cinematic and epic and profound. It's it's this just kind of a wonderful home run. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like and that that's uh, it's why it's like a little bit of a bummer to me that Final Fantasy VII gets so much. Uh... I would say cred and attention when it comes to remakes and stuff like that, because it's like a Final Fantasy VI movie would be amazing. <laughs> It'd be very hard to adapt, but yeah, you know, I thought it might make a good like anime series or something. Oh yeah. Like this would be a really great, like limited, you know, eight episode series or something. 
Or it's like a two-season series where season yeah. one is the end of the world and then season two is them figuring out the thing. I, I would love to see it. I think it's, it's worth doing. I'm sure Square is, you know, counting their their Final Fantasy VII remake money and going, should we do six? Should we do nine? You know, these were good. I mean, not, not, nine was really good. I feel like they're counting their Final Fantasy VII remake money and thinking, should we do another Final Fantasy VII remake? <laughs> yeah, well, they've split that into, you know, I guess however many three games or something they're going to take to do it. But I don't think you could remake. I think, you know, if you tried to do this the way they did with seven, and I actually liked the seven remake. I enjoyed it. Um, I think you would lose a lot of what makes this special. You'd lose the pixel art. You'd lose the, you know, you'd add in vocal tracks with voice actors and it just would not feel as special. I bet a lot of this dialogue, as cool as it is, it feels good in your head. It probably sounds weird if you say it out loud. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so I, I don't know if it would work, but, I, you know. I, I think that Cree Summer could make you're a spoony bard sound cool. <laughs> I know, that was from Final Fantasy IV. But yeah, it is a memorable line. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there are very talented voice actors who could do it. I just, again, I feel like what makes Final Fantasy Fantasy VI special is what's already there. Yeah, I think you can only go down from there. It's kind of the way I look at it. No, I get that. So, um, Joe, I, I just want to say thank you again for for coming on the show. It's been so much fun to revisit this game. I, you know, I love it so much, and I know you do too. Uh, is there uh, where would people find you if they want to find your good works? Uh, they can find me um, in the boiler room of the Blackjack uh, <laughs> Airship, uh, hanging out with my good friend, uh, my good sad friend Cyan. Uh, yeah, uh, now you can find me on Twitter at JoeyTainment. You can find me um, uh, also on TikTok at JoeyTainment, on Instagram at JoeyClift with like five or six eyes. Um, I'll probably start a Mastodon or a Hive or what, whatever the popular one is that people are going to. Um, you can probably find me on Joey, at, at Joey Tayman on those. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I would say uh, things to promote. Um, I, uh, I'm a writer, consulting producer on Spirit Rangers, which is a really good kid show that just came out on Netflix recently. Um, uh, I created the digital series Gone Native, which you mentioned, which... Um, we just released our um, final episode on uh, Comedy Central's animated YouTube channel a few days ago, so check all those out. Uh, and then I have a short film called My First Native American Boyfriend that um, uh, I just it just finished its festival run. You can find that uh, on Vimeo. But if you find me, if you follow me on social media, you'll be able to check all this stuff out. Great, and I and you should because this is wonderful stuff. Uh, I uh, if you do a quick admin on our side, if you like the show. Of course, do what you do when you like podcasts. Go uh, review them highly. Uh, tell people about them. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter for as long as Twitter is worth mentioning. Uh, at Uh We're also on Instagram for now. And, uh, yeah, we'll probably migrate over to Mastodon or Poster. Whatever lifeboat we need uh, when Elon Musk burns the thing to the ground. Yeah, whichever whichever one wins. Yeah, exactly. Whichever Whatever's left after the world burns down, uh, that's where we'll be. Uh, and uh, until next time, uh, that's one more entry in the Nostalgia Arcade.
All right, well, uh, we let Joey go, but I did want to at least read some feedback which we had on uh, Final Fantasy VI that I wanted to get to because uh, it's always good to have uh, some some feedback from our listeners. This is awesome. So uh, the first one I talked wanted to read was from David Jackson. He wrote, I played the Game Boy Advance version as my first experience with the game and immediately got hooked by the plot and what an evil bastard Kepka is, which of course we covered. Um, and then at the point where things may start to drag in really long games, for the first time in my history playing games, the villain wins. After that, the getting the band back together story kept me going even longer. I really love the game despite getting to the final area twice and never beating it. I'm looking forward to finally beating it sometime soon. Uh, yeah, it, it's a long one. There are some, um, there are definitely some spots towards the end <laughs> where uh, you can feel like I want to give up. Uh, and I don't feel like grinding uh, forever and ever uh, to uh, build up my stats to be able to get there. Uh, there are things the game gives to you to try and uh, make it easier. But yeah, uh, I do think it is worth the end. You can always, of course, the, the, the secret ending to any game is to go on YouTube and just watch the ending, uh, which uh, this game has a great one, as we talked about. So uh, thank you for writing in, David. And uh I have another one. Uh, this is from uh, online, so it's just a handle, but it's Ruck Row It's Rex is the handle, which I think is really fun. Uh, wrote in, short Final Fantasy VI story. When it was finally released in the USA, my sister and I were champing at the bit for it. We bought it at Walmart, and when we got it home, we discovered that someone had re-shrink wrapped it, and there was a real old copy of Bubsy the Bobcat inside. They exchanged it for us, luckily. Uh, yes, that is the correct response, is to get it changed immediately, because Bubsy the Bobcat uh, I had... It was uh, interesting, but terrible, and uh, nowhere near the quality of Final Fantasy VI. Uh, yeah, Bubsy's, uh, Bubsy's a real nadir for, for games and platformers. It's pretty awful. Um, but that's the feedback we got. Again, uh, if you have feedback, please uh, send it to at NostalgiaPod, and we'll read it on the air. So uh, thanks so much for sending that in. Okay, kids, show me what you got. Yeah, right. Next! Yes! Next! Ooh, scary. Next! 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 Final Fantasy 3. Do you have what it takes? Final Fantasy 3 from Squaresoft. Next!